0: Today, um, I'll be reading from Acts 910 to 31 in the NLT version. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But the Lord exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul, He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked, and didn't he come here to arrest everyone to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted against plotted together to kill him. They were watching him day in and day out as a city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus, his hometown. The church had, had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. It became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. We want to welcome you
1: this morning, whether you're in the sanctuary, the auditorium at Warden, or whether you're watching online today, want to welcome you to our continued series in the book of Acts on this Labor Day weekend. Hopefully you'll have a great weekend. As I mentioned, we are in the book of Acts, and today we're going to be looking at chapter nine, and I hope you have your Bibles ready or your electronic devices, your smartphones available as we study this next section. Before we start, let me remind you why we are studying, in fact, having a very extensive study on the book of Acts as we go chapter by chapter through this entire book. First of all, we are highlighting in this series a group of people who are responsible for a very specific moment in the history of when culture is literally being impacted through a significant way by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In community, this group of people are deeply committed one to another. They're deeply committed to the principles of the gospel, and they live it out and transcend it. In a, in a transcendent way to the various aspects of their life as they influence society. But as you read through the book of Acts, what you also discover is you see another side which shows the turmoil, their things are stirring, things are seemingly in an upheaval, there's constantly change taking place, lives are being changed, things are being challenged, the world is being literally turned upside down. People are being delivered, no longer being Bound bound by idolatry, life change is happening, and the implications of such change is having a dramatic, profound effect on people. They are living differently. They are living in a newfound freedom, and the power of the Holy Spirit is upon them, upon these lives. A new life is being breathed, not only into the lives of people, but it's influencing the towns and the cities. Now, as you take a moment and you think about and look at our world today, looking at where we are right now, we can see the same things happening that the first century believers were taking what was happening in their lives as followers of Christ. Right now, you are aware of this, we are facing a global pandemic that has no signs of abating. There are arguments as we we enter into a season of election. There are arguments in politics right now. In the last month, there was the dismal collapse of the nation of Afghanistan. There are racial tensions where various cultures are coming against one another. And there are economic realities that point to a very dismal future. From a standpoint of a Christian community... There's also infighting happening within churches between masked and no mask and vaccinated against non-vaccinated. And I think all of us will agree, we need a fresh touch of God's move, of God's spirit infusing our lives. We need something different so that we can address the broken down things in this world. And as broken as things were in the first century and as broken things are in the 21st century, there is no other book that I believe is more influential, there is no other book that is more relevant than the book of Acts. The stuff that we are experiencing today is relevant to what is happening and happened back in the book of Acts. There is something, listen, there is something dynamic that happens when a group of people take the gospel seriously and begin to choose to pattern their lives and align their lives to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we need to understand as to why we're looking at the book of Acts. But here's a second reason as we are studying through the book of Acts. And this aspect has to do with the text that we read a few moments ago. When you and I read the Bible sometimes... When we read the narrative in the Bible, where where the application of the text is very clear, the demonstration of what is taking place is so very specific that the text doesn't need much explanation. And the text today is very specific. Honestly, I really don't need to be speaking today. And I'm sure some of you, when you read along with the Scriptures... Say to yourself, yeah, I understand what's happening. I can see what is taking place. I don't need an explanation. This is very, very clear as to what transpired here, except there's one exception. There are times, no matter how clear or how specific the Bible is, no matter how simple we think the narrative is, no matter how specific we think the narrative is, There are times when the scriptures challenge us. Things may be clear, but can be very challenging. Things can be clear, but they are counterintuitive. And there's this this quick tendency on our part to skip over, to ignore, to bypass the truth that is being presented. There is a truth. In these verses that were read a few moments ago, there is a truth that is in front of us. The message is simple and clear. The words, the pronunciation was simple and clear. But unfortunately, as simple and clear as it may be, there is still the possibility, a tendency within all of our hearts to disregard it. And unfortunately, when we disregard, skip over, ignore, these simple points of application, what we are doing is we are choosing to bypass the application, where we are literally choosing to step aside from the path that perhaps Jesus has called us to walk on. Let me say it like this. You may want to mark these words down. In order for us to discover the joy and the meaning of life found in Jesus, We must allow him to address the contention between our way and his way. That is very important for us to understand. There can be the tendency for congruency to happen between what his way may be and what our way is. There is is this bottom line There's this bottom line behavior that Jesus presents to us that that is fundamentally different on how humans naturally operate. Can I say that again? There is a bottom line behavior that Jesus presents to us, and those behaviors are fundamentally different as to how humans naturally operate. And sometimes, no matter how clear the message is presented, people choose to ignore it. There can be conflict, contention, and consequently, people begin to drift away from Jesus unless our hearts are touched by His Spirit. So today, in order for us to read and to understand and to come to grasp with these scriptures and to truly receive. We need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit on our lives to see beyond the natural, to go beyond the natural. And as I've been praying this past week, I am praying that all of our hearts today would be touched by a specific move of God whether you are in the sanctuary or whether you are at home wherever you watch wherever you are watching right now that the specific touch of God's spirit may happen in your life to understand this principle to move beyond a natural understanding of how things should be and to grasp the supernatural of what God wants to accomplish in our lives So as a brief review, last week we talked about and witnessed the confrontation between Jesus and a man named Saul. Saul was filled with animosity toward his church. Saul was filled with animosity uh, towards Christian people in general. And he presided over the stoning of a man named Stephen and basically witnessed his murder. And on his way to Damascus, as you recall from last week, with orders to extradite Christians, simply because they were following Jesus on his way... He was confronted by a resurrected Lord. And he was left, as we concluded last week, he was left to com- contemplate what happened. And in blindness, he was sitting in a random house in the city of Damascus. Now we get to Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Look what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Now, I want you to, I want you to see the different responses between Ananias' experience with the Lord and Saul's experience. When Jesus confronted Saul, as we talked about last week, on the road to Damascus and called out to him, do you remember what Saul's response was? Saul's response was, who are you? Now notice the response of Ananias as he's confronted with the Lord. His response was, here I I am, Lord. Now, isn't that a very interesting comparison and difference between the two responses? There is a complete distinction between those two responses. It reveals something. It gives us the anatomy of what a true follower of Jesus is. Because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, our response should be, when the Lord speaks... There should be a willingness, a readiness, a leaning in to hear, God, what do you have for me? Lord, what do you have for me? There is a recognition in Ananias' life of God's voice in his life. It's almost as if he is responding, here I am, ready for duty. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I am ready to do whatever it is that you want me to do. So here's what I want you to be challenged with this week. Let me challenge you to do something this week. It's to take a piece of paper. And at the top of the paper, write, Here I am, Lord. And then take some time, take a few moments, to examine your life and ask the Lord, Am I the kind of person that when you approach me, or I approach you, that I stand before you with a willingness for you to do with me whatever you want. That's the challenge. And I wonder as I read this verse and as I look at the narrative of Ananias, I, I ponder and I think about the response of Ananias. I wonder... Is there a reason why Jesus specifically selected him? Why Jesus specifically came to Ananias in a vision? Because there must have been some moments in his past, in Ananias' past life, where he responded or had a similar response. Is there a reason why Jesus came to Ananias? Because Ananias displayed this continuous willingness to make himself available by his response, here I am, Lord. Was Ananias, I wonder, the type of person or the kind of person that had a pattern of saying, here I am, Lord, tell me where to go, tell me what you want me to do, and I will do it. Why is it that the Lord came to specifically Ananias? I happen to personally believe that God is continually looking for people, men and women, just like you and me, people who will stand up and say, what do you want me to do, Lord, for your glory and honor? What is it that you want me to accomplish for you? I love this about Ananias. I love this about Ananias' willingness. I love this story where there's this declaration that he is making. I am in. I am fully committed. You can count on me, Lord. Whatever it is, you can count on me. And immediately when Ananias says, here am I, Lord, the Bible gives us the next verses where instructions are given. In verse 11 and verse 12. And the Lord said, here are the instructions. When Ananias said, here am I, Lord, the instructions are given. Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. On top of all of this, what is transpiring here, Jesus has prepared this encounter to take place in advance. And not only is he directing Ananias, he is also preparing the heart of Saul for the connection to be made. But here's the problem. Maybe you realize this or not. Maybe you're you're beginning to see what's transpiring here. Here's the problem. The problem is, Ananias knows who Saul is. And at this moment, there is something that takes place which happens in our lives over and over and over to anybody who, who desires To walk in the footsteps of the Lord who desires the promises of God to take place in their life, there is a struggle that begins to transpire in the cause of Jesus Christ. Ananias knows who Saul is. Even though he has said, Here am I, Lord, Lord, take me, here am I, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. The next verse, it comes to a screeching halt. Look what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 13 and verse 14. But Lord, the Lord has given him directions, and Ananias' response is, but Lord, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls on his name. You see what's happening here? Ananias was willing, and when the Lord gives him his instructions, he puts on the brakes. It's almost as if Ananias is informing Jesus about some details that Jesus may have forgotten. Like Jesus missed this little minor detail, this information about the guy named Saul. And what Ananias is doing here in verse 13 and in verse 14, what he is doing here is he is questioning Jesus. Are you sure that you really want me to do this? Now let's just pause here for a moment. And the reason I am pausing is because in actuality, You and I do the same thing. When we explain the details or the complexities of whatever to Jesus, we are not informing him. We are actually questioning the Lord. Are you sure, Jesus? Is this really what you want from me? This is exactly what is happening here. It happens every year. It happens every month, sometimes every week to people who call themselves followers of Jesus. We may receive instructions, instructions that are clear according to God's word, instructions that may not be very complicated, but the the implications are incongruent to the way I think that life should work or what should happen. So we begin to question and my guess is all of us in our lives at some point or another, we have been prompted by the Holy Spirit, we've been prompted by Jesus to move perhaps to a certain person, perhaps we've been asked to engage in some kind of mission or ministry, or perhaps we've even been asked to give sacrificially with our finances, sometimes we've been prompted but somewhere between the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the execution of that prompting, we start trying to make sense or start to question or start to speak sense to Jesus. Jesus, do you really want me to do this? Do you know, really know, Jesus, how much this is going to cost me? Jesus, do you really want to know about The dangers and the ramifications of what you're asking me to do? Jesus, we say, there are all kinds of implications. There are all kinds of situations. I'm just not sure that this is really what you want me to do. So many times I've experienced people who want to do a mission. They want to go on a missions experience as we send out mission teams from our church, we go to different places. There are a lot of people who sign up until they find out what the cost is. And all of a sudden it's like, "Mm, I'm not really sure that this is really what I should be doing. Maybe the Holy Spirit was prompting you to do something and to do something for the kingdom of God. And then when you begin to analyze and think about and figure out in your own heart and mind what is really transpiring and perhaps even the dangers associated with a trip to a certain location in the world, all of a sudden it's like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm really sure that this is what I want to do. And Here's why we do that, friends. Because something... In the instructions that we receive from the Lord, violate our sensibilities on how we think life should work. So, back to Ananias. Logic tells us that Ananias had every right to question Jesus. Because of what Jesus was asking him to do. Because ultimately it could kill Ananias. Logic would tell us that Ananias should stay far away from Saul. As we read a few moments ago, he is on a mission to kill Christians. And we need to stay as far away as possible from him. Saul is the enemy, Lord. Are you serious? You want to... Send me to the enemy. Why in the world would I want to go near to that person? Jesus, is Saul's salvation more important than keeping me alive? Ananias is probably thinking. Saul represents everything in the world that I am not. Saul is a threat to the existence of every single follower of Christ. It's hard enough for me to love my neighbor and now you want me to visit this guy is that really what you want me to do, Jesus? That's exactly what Jesus is asking. You see, there's a word that we use today to people who we consider a threat to us, for people we consider are against us, for people who are different and have different values than us, for people who are against the church, and that word is enemy. We call anyone who opposes us Our enemy. And one of the best ways that you and I can identify our enemy is to take a moment and look at our emotions. What is it that makes you really angry? Who is it that makes you defensive? Is there a person or a group of people, when you're around them, that make you uncomfortable? Are there conversations that make your blood boil and your emotions begin to spin out of control? those are good indications that you're not comfortable with those people and you would consider them distant and far away and removed from you. Enemies, perhaps. But here's what Jesus says, not just to Ananias, but to all of us in regard to our enemies. Look what he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and now in Luke chapter 6 just a few verses beyond that in verse 32 through verse 36 if you love only those who love you why should you get credit for that even sinners love those who love them and if you do good only to those who do good to you why should you get credit even sinners do that much And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he who is kind... To those who are unthankful and wicked, now notice this, you must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Jesus says the contrast between you, my followers, and everyone else in the world is that you love as nobody else loves. That's what makes us different, church. And in order for us to truly love, like nobody else loves, that has to come from an infusion of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. I can submit to you, in my natural tendencies, that is an impossible thing to do. But with the presence of God's power, His Holy Spirit in our lives, That's what sets us apart in this world. That's what makes us different. If your love, if your goodness, if your generosity is only extended to those that you are comfortable with, that's how... Everyone operates in the natural. And what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 6 is, I'm calling you, church, I am calling you as followers of Christ, I am calling you not to be natural, I am calling you to be supernatural, beyond the natural. I would submit to you, probably one of the most supernatural things that you could ever do in your life is to choose to love someone who opposes you. It may be embracing somebody who is different than you are. And you see at that very point that's when we are in that at that very point that's when we are tempted to inform Jesus with some questions like really Lord you want me to love this person or that person? Really you want me to be with this group and That group over there, you really, really, Lord? And Jesus would say to you, according to Luke chapter 6, yes, yes, yes. That's who I want you to be with. That's who I want you to connect with. Do I have to love them? And the Lord would say, yes. You have to love. Supernatural, beyond the natural. This is more than just putting up with people. When we talk about love, we're talking about a love that moves. A love that moves forward. A love that moves toward people. Doesn't keep people at a distance. Doesn't put your hand out to resist people. It means taking the first step. It means making the first move. And unfortunately, some of us have been taught in the church culture that we need to avoid certain groups in order that we don't get contaminated by their sin and that we don't get corrupted spiritually. Unfortunately, in the church, we who participate in the church culture have been taught to have a polite hatred towards groups of people that are different than us. In fact, some people in churches have confused the winds of politics with the wind and breath of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in this chapter... Is asking us to rethink our processes here. Jesus is looking for followers to be people of a different culture. This passage in Luke chapter 6. Gives us a clue as to how we can experience and move in this environment of love. And when Jesus ends his talk, notice these words of how to be generous, kind, loving to even those who are enemies. He closes with these words in, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 36. He wants us, listen to this, he wants us to be what? Compassionate, even as your Father is compassionate. And when Jesus makes that kind of a statement, he is identifying a basic human principle, and that that is this. We learn by example. We learn by looking at and towards someone else. YouTube is great for that. I I have trouble reading even Ikea manuals. I don't know if anybody else has. They're just pictures, and I have trouble reading those manuals, but you go on YouTube when you think you can't figure things out, it's even better than talking to someone on the phone, trying to explain to someone how things work and should work and don't work, trying to get an answer from somebody on a phone, but when you go onto YouTube, I was doing a recent project on, a sh- on my shower. And, I, had, and I, I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know how to take the things, the things off, the knobs off. And you go onto YouTube, you look it up, and it tells you exactly step by step on how to do it. I watched somebody do my project on YouTube, and as I watched them and followed them, I could do it. That's how we learn as human beings. And what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 6 is this. At the end of this passage, he is saying, do you see how God loves That's how I want you to love. Do you see that God is merciful and compassionate? That's how I want you to be. I want you to be merciful and compassionate. Here's something you need to write down. Seeing as God sees will result in loving as God loves. Seeing as God sees will result in loving as God loves. In other words, listen. God loves every person in the world, and if you can't love people, then you are not seeing people in the world as God sees his creation. When we see as God sees, it will result in loving as God loves now let's get back to Acts chapter 9 and Ananias' question. Saul, Saul's my enemy. God, you know that, right? And look how God responds. Look how the Lord responds in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through verse 16. This is a fantastic verse. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You ask, well, why is this such a fantastic verse? Because Jesus does something very significant in his response to the questioning of Ananias. And what Jesus is teaching us when he says this to Ananias is this, Ananias You see Saul as a threat. You see him as a person who hates Christians. He is a hated enemy of Christianity. But I, Jesus... I see something different in Saul. I see a chosen instrument. I see someone who will carry my name to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus sees someone who will sit before kings and queens. And Jesus sees Saul as someone who will eventually suffer for his name's sake. All these things that Jesus sees in Saul are completely and totally inconceivable to Ananias to comprehend. No self respecting Jew would ever go to Gentiles. Yet every one of these things that Jesus says about Saul in this verse happens in Saul's life, they become a reality. But then, as Ananias sees, as God sees, and he begins to love as God loves, look at Ananias' response in verse 17. Notice these words. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength and Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. See what's happening here? Once Ananias understood, he was able to go to the house where Saul was staying, which leads to the question that each one of us has to answer. Can we see as God sees? Can we see those who are rumored to be dangerous As God sees them. Can we see people in the future drenched in God's desire for their lives? Ananias goes to Saul only armed with the vision that God has given to him. He has no idea what's going to happen next. He could die for all he knows. All he knows is I have to give this message to this guy who's in this house in the city of Damascus. Unfortunately and very sadly we live... In a Christian reality world today that has been perverted by our own cultural obsession with safety and the avoidance of pain. And as a result, as Christians living in the Western world, we have no capacity to risk anything for Jesus Christ. So when we read Acts chapter 9, we have a hard time understanding and comprehending this type of scenario because we put so much uncertainty in our lives. We... We don't have any control over this. It's too dangerous. There could be potential suffering. And so we back off to whatever God is asking us to do. However, church, when you and I take a step forward with the Lord, when Jesus says go in the midst of great anxiety and a great uncertainty and We don't know what is going to transpire. That is the moment where the greatest commitment and discipleship to Jesus Christ takes place. When you and I make a commitment to truly follow God in complete obedience, it changes the way we think, it changes the way how we act, and it changes our response towards other people. I like what Willie Jennings said once. He said, The truth we know of a person or people must move to the background. And what we know of God's desire for them must move to the foreground. You see, friends, here's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel tells a story that we need to be constantly reminded of. The gospel tells the story that I and you we were once estranged from God. The gospel says that you and I were estranged from God. The gospel even says that in fact we were enemies of God. The gospel says that while I was still an enemy of God, God loved me. And while I was an enemy of God, God reconciled me back to himself that's what romans chapter 5 verse 10 and verse 11 is all about the bible says for since our friendship with god was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son so now we can rejoice in a wonderful new relationship with god because our lord jesus christ has made us friends of god from enemies to friends so the relationship between loving your enemy and our understanding of how you were loved as an enemy of God is crucial in fact it is absolutely critical to you loving others can I say that again this is important for us to understand The relationship between loving your enemies in your life and your understanding of how you were loved as an enemy of God is crucial to you loving because you can never extend love to another person as your enemy until you understand how much God has loved you when you were an enemy of God. If you haven't experienced that, that means you probably have not experienced the gospel. Because when you say yes to the gospel, it means that you accept the reality that you have been extended radical, undeserved mercy and grace. You were an enemy to God who was loved. I was an enemy. To God, who was loved. And you cannot experience the power of the gospel in your life until you admit that. And this is what makes the gospel so beautiful. There is nothing that says, I was an enemy, I was loved. I was an enemy, and I was loved. Which in turn means that now I can love those who don't like me hate me those who come against me I can in turn love them when you see what God sees you will love as God loves let me close with this very simple question I want to close with who is your enemy in your life right now who is your enemy when you think about a person Who makes your blood boil? What stirs your emotion? Who are the people or the groups of people that make you defensive? Who in your mind have you determined are dangerous people and you need to stay away from? Think about it for a moment. And know this. Whoever that person or people are, Jesus is calling each of us. Jesus is calling all of us to love them. And if we could simply love people the way Jesus loves you and you, if we can learn to love people like that, literally we can flip this world upside down. Every time you struggle to love, every time you feel awkward around people that are hard to love, every time you experience internal in, in tensions and upheavals in your emotional life, every time you feel angry and you see angry rising up, anger rising up within your life, just remind yourself that love was extended to you when you were an enemy of God. And Jesus, as he said to Ananias, I want you to go. And whoever those people are, I want you to love them. Because I love them. And I see a potential future in their lives. Let's pray together. May we all see you, Jesus. May we see you loving people. May we see as you see Jesus. And when we say yes, to you, Lord, make us into those evangelists of your love. God, I pray for all of us here that we may take the gospel that has been so precious in our own lives, that we may take it from the four walls of wherever we are, from our homes, from the church building, from places that we... Find confinement in that we would take your gospel into the lives of people, into the lives of others, and impact them with your love. Thank you for redeeming us as enemies and loving us unconditionally. May we be taught, may we learn also to love unconditionally. The supernatural love of Christ, may it infiltrate our lives today. Oh God, I pray in each one of our hearts, each one of our lives, may the supernatural love of Jesus impact us and dynamically and powerfully flow through us, oh God, as we understand the incredible love that you have for us. May we extend that love into a world that desperately needs it. I pray this for our lives' sake. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Take a moment now as we prepare for communion. Join us as we celebrate communion and celebrate the forgiveness of our lives as we've become friends of God. God bless you. Have a great weekend.